healthcare today is based on a lot of goodwill by a lot of great physicians. But that's not sustainable. We need to start automating and creating processes and tools to not just be relying on the goodwill of a person. Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Welcome back to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. I'm Alex Merwin, Head of Growth, Healthcare and Life Sciences Startups at AWS. So, how is AI transforming the way hospitals operate? Today, Guy Spiegelman, the EMEA Lead for Healthcare and Life Sciences Startups at AWS, welcomes Alad Wallach, the founder and CEO of ADOC, to the show. ADOC offers a leading healthcare AI platform, which is used in over 1,000 medical centers globally, analyzing more than a million patients a month. We discuss ADOC's maturation from a medical imaging solution to an enterprise-wide healthcare AI platform, Alad's journey as a first-time founder, and how to scale a healthcare startup from inception to over 400 employees and attracting over $250 million in financing from leading investors. This is a fun, informal conversation. I hope you like it. Enough from me. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Health Innovation Podcast. I'm here with the CEO of ADOC, or AI Doc, Elad Wallach. Welcome. How are you doing today, Elad? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. And we accept all comers in terms of the name, but it's more ADOC because it's more about the aid than about the AI. How about that? So, you know, I'm going to jump straight in because I've got like a list of pre-questions about the history of that, but let's just hone in on that point. Something I like to say is that I think the word digital health together sometimes does us less good than bad. And I prefer to talk about advancing healthcare and then we're using digital tools to do that. What, what would you say? No, I totally agree. I think that's one of the things we do the worst as an ecosystem. And we are overly focused on the tech versus the outcomes and value. And if you go to these conferences, there is an AI section. What is an AI section, right? Like, what's the value in an AI? And you bundle everything together, right? If you look at healthcare AI as obviously my space, you have companies that do robotic process automation, finance, right? Companies like Cedar and Olive, great companies, right? Then you have companies in the documentation space. You have Epic doing better documentation. You have that with speech recognition. You have that. Then you have us purely clinical diagnostics, FDA clearances, doing like care delivery. Those are very different spaces and bottling everything under the box of, oh, we all use AI. It's almost, I think it's doing us as exactly right. It's this service. And I think it changes the conversation instead of talking about like value to how cool is this shiny toy. So I think we definitely need to change the conversation. I think I 100% agree with you. And before we get further into our conversation, for the benefit of our listeners, perhaps you can give a sort of brief introduction to ADOC and what you guys are doing, what value you are bringing and have been bringing so far to the market. Yes. So we are, as mentioned, strictly in this clinical AI box. And effectively, what we help health systems is to identify clinical insights and then carry them to the relevant physician. I'll give a quick example. Uh, one of our earlier products were for radiology for uh, triaging patients. So let's say you have 100 patients in the ED. They all go through a CT scan with a headache. 
but maybe patient 100 that should be waiting a couple of hours is actually the patient with a severe brain bleed or a stroke. Our AI allows to automatically run on every patient on the images and say, oh, actually patient number 100 that would have waited for a couple of hours has something urgent. Let's bump it to the top. Or by the way, sometimes even let's notify the surgical team, right? Maybe he needs to be evaluated by a specialist. So all of the things, it's about identification of clinical signals and then notification to a physician somewhere in the health. So you said that was one of your earlier products, right? Tell me about how long it took you since developing that product to actually seeing it installed for the first time and helping patients' lives. So at first, it was obviously, it was a long time, right? It took about two years, I would say, because we had to develop it. We had to go through FDA and then you'd have to go through installation and BAA and security reviews and agreements. You all know that takes forever. So it took two years. But I will say now we're much more advanced than that. It's probably one of the most widely distributed clinical AI solutions. And we're at this point analyzing over two, almost three million patients a month. It took us a while to get to the first one, but now we see it really that's in the trajectory of really reaching significant scale. Yeah. I think if I had to make an analogy of what you said before about not focusing on the technology and the value. You've been able to show a lot of value to patients, to clinicians, but who do you see as your customer? Do you see the clinician as your customer, the hospital manager as your customer? That's interesting for me because there's the technology and the product side, but like, how do you actually into use? It's, it's, it's such a good question. And by the way, I would have answered it differently two years ago versus now. Wow. Okay. So... It's both because of our evolution and the market evolution. So two years ago, we were mainly selling to clinicians. Radiologists was originally the, the, the first audience. And uh, really, we were like targeting them, chair of a radiology department, that was the role. And, but over time, what happened in the health system market and everybody in healthcare, I think we see the apocalypse or the Armageddon that has happened over the past two years. And two things that happened at the same time. A, the decision-making escalated to hire to more senior people, especially for significant IT spend. And this stems from the fact that every hospital need to cut cost and they had to rationalize how many different IT solutions they use. So that really uh, elevated the conversation. So a lot of budget conversation are now happening, happening in the executive suite. That was coupled by the fact that we really evolved as a company to an enterprise platform. So we now have solutions for radiology, of course, but cardiology, neurology, ED, critical care, population health. So now the decision-making also makes sense from an enterprise perspective. Let, let me just like frame this for the audience because I know a bit of Please. your history, but you started in yes. very much radiology, medical, sort of artificial intelligence for medical imaging. And right. your evolution has gone, is it still heavily imaging focused? Still a lot of our products are there, but many are not. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about something that's not imaging focused. Yeah. So when we started ADOC, it was the value proposition for AI in, in, clin like in clinical care is obvious, right? Everybody, we all know that 10 years from now, it's going to be ubiquitous, right? But we try to understand why isn't this really deployed widely, right? It, it was five years ago when we, five, six years ago when we started, it was even then it was mind boggling, right? And in our opinion, the biggest issue was the fragmentation of solutions. 
And it's not unique to AI, by the way. It's the, the, for a lot of healthcare tech, you see fragmentation. EHR in the early days, right? Departmental EHRs, telehealth per disease. And with AI, it was even worse because AI solutions are like literally per disease state. So you have a stroke AI solution, a lung cancer solution. So a radiologist could have 5,000 different AI products, like literally. And what we said is, how about we change the consumption model a bit, figure out a way to scale AI in a different way. So our whole spiel as a company, like ADOC's claim to fame, is really the enterprise platform, right? We try to grow the, the solution suite and become both a comprehensive developer of AI, but also something that can integrate third parties. So when we partner with a health system, it's a one-stop shop for AI. Okay, but then that also then, in terms of how that positions you, that then starts to position you against some pretty major players. Well... Look, I think that's what's needed for the market. And I think we have to grow to that because I think that is the solution the market needs. The market needs a holistic, systematic way to consume AI, clinical AI. Okay, great. So look, maybe just understanding now how your product has evolved, how have you developed as a company, uh, both geography-wise, but also in terms of growing your people and culture? The listen. You know, this is a health innovation podcast, so yes, we want to focus on the the health side, but also the your innovation journey and how you've scaled as a company. How do you manage also as, as a founder? How have you coped personally on this journey? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. We are four hundred to five hundred people at this point, so just to give a where we are in the journey, and I think the biggest shift for us was from a company who developed a single service line, right, or single product line to multiple, and that shift to the enterprise. That is such a massive change because you might think it's a big deal. You're selling to radiologists, now you're selling to cardiologists and neurologists. Oh my God. It's such a different game. They go to different conferences, they speak different language, and to be able to work with all these different specialties at the same time is extremely difficult. So the big cultural shift we had to do is work from everybody's like, laser focused on one service line, like working together and everybody knows everything to much more of a team play. Now, there is nobody that knows everything, right? I cannot speak as intelligent to all these physician types. It's impossible to contain all that knowledge. So now it's much more of a team game and it's much more of a team sale. It's much more of a team development process. So how do we maintain the same agility and depth, but like now working really cross-functionally, even within ADOC? So the whole coordination problem we see in healthcare, we actually sometimes have internally, and that is some of the battles we're having. And we're starting to ingrain into our culture a lot of these like new modes of much more teaming, much more collaborative, much more challenging one another. I think those are some of the aspects that I, I find really interesting in the evolution. Okay. And what about yourself? How have you evolved, do you think, as a founder? What were you doing before ADOC? Well, I, I headed AI for the uh, Israeli Air Force, so the opposite of healthcare. I think the big change for me, wow, we're getting honest here. Look, A, I will say, I'm a first-time founder. So every year I need to reinvent myself and grow to this next phase of the business. This year, I think as a company and me personally, our journey was really this growth to the enterprise. And I think the big difference for me was how do I not just understand radiology and imaging, but how can I intelligently speak and paint a picture of the future 
for how health systems operate. It's a much more healthcare transformation in a grand scheme of things. That is a very difficult thing for an outsider to really learn, but that is the kind of the journey I, I grew over the past year. Do you have mentors? How do you do that? Is it lonely sometimes for you as a first-time founder on this journey? It is lonely, right? It's a lot of tough decisions with a lot of uncertainty, right? I, I very frequently find myself having to make decisions with very little data and going on, on hunch and intuition, even though I'm a fairly data-driven leader in my, like, as, as the team knows. But it, the reality is there isn't a lot of data and you have to make very tough decisions. I'll give you one simple example on the motion. Changing to more of an enterprise sales cycle, on the one hand, you could build a bigger deal, but you can sell, but it might slow down the business. How do you balance that out? How do you do both at the same time if you want it, right? Do we still keep like the service line sales or no? How do we do it? There's like all of these dilemmas that we have to face based on no data, right? Based on, okay, we think that's going to happen and we do the best with what we can. So it is lonely. This is difficult. Hold on. So what did you decide? We decided we have to balance both because we still think the clinicians are going to be key, but that that does have sacrifices because we can go full in on, on... Mm-hmm. Either of those. Yeah, no, strategy is often choosing what not to do, right? And that's difficult. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and maybe like keeping a little bit with the perspective as a CEO and your, the growth you've had as a CEO, how have you managed financing the company over the years and how has that changed now that you're at a different scale level? Fortunately, I think we've always been a fairly attractive company to finance just because of the size of opportunity that we're capturing. and the unique position we have in the market. So we've raised over 250 million at this point uh, from really good investors, just this last round led by TCV, which are uh, a crossover fund and General Catalyst, which is probably one of the best healthcare funds out there. It was, I think, very good, very, it was a positive environment, but also obviously very challenging. So for us, early days were really about vision and story. And these last two runs, obviously a lot of it is about metrics, right? Can we show growth? And luckily, so far, we've been growing quite rapidly, so we can keep financing the business. But it is a very, so you asked me about how we operate as a company. Most companies spend way more in sales and marketing compared to R&D. Because what we want to develop is so big, we still have massive R&D investments. We actually spend more on R&D than sales and marketing. That's very different compared to other companies in our stage that influences our culture, like top to bottom, and just a different focus for us as a company. It's what makes the vision exciting because it means it's still out there to reach. But it's also, obviously, we have to finance all of those R&D investments with our growth. Okay, great. All right. So bringing it back now to AI and healthcare, you mentioned that point before of the early example of the triage and maybe patient 100 being the one you need to see first. Can we bring it down to the patient? Do you have a couple of patient stories that you can share where the the kind of stories that make you feel like I've done a good something good in this world. You know what? I'll just share right now one. Yes, I'll open. Luckily, as that whole company, we like love hearing the story. So we have an ADOC, ADOC group where we share. I'll open one from a week ago. So yeah, we had a patient. Yeah, here we go. So I won't say the health system, obviously, for, for their privacy. A physician at, at the health system was woken up 3 a.m. by a mobile alert for a stroke patient coming from from one of their spoke facilities. So in healthcare, a lot of it is hub and spoke. So think about specialists and in like a main facility. And then you had 
small community hospital, maybe have last staff. They were woken up in the hub, getting like a mobile alert. Oh, there is a potential stroke patient. They looked at it, lo and behold, truly stroke patient. The spoke actually did not even, did not even register. It's like a high case stroke patients. The patient would have waited for hours there before being transferred. And by the way, we all know time is brain. So that means the patient would most probably pass away. Nobody knows. This, he was like, I got the alert. He called the spoke site. How cool is that? The hub called the spoke, told him, hey, we have this patient. Maybe let's transfer that in, evaluate, diagnose, read the patient. And now the patient is alive and well. That is what we live for, right? So this is, let's call it care blind spots, right? Nobody would have caught the patient on time. But now because of AI connecting the dots, finally, we have a, a physician that can say, oh, there is better care we can provide and we can coordinate all that together. Yeah, obviously that's an amazing story and, and the patient lives are saved, but I'm thinking about the clinician as well, right? The clinician there must feel, in this case, rather than scared by AI, really empowered by AI. Totally. I think that is the biggest shift we see. They, so look, physicians these days, the burnout rates, right? What do we expect of clinicians is un unrealistic, right? They are almost superhuman today. It's insane. It is. It it's really insane. is. Seriously. They, they really are heroes. And every other profession, they have so many tools at their disposal, right? And it, only here we're just like, oh no, just do a better job. Healthcare today is based on a lot of goodwill by a lot of great physicians, but that's not sustainable. We need to start automating and creating processes and tools to not just be relying on the goodwill of a person. I think those are exactly right. That's exactly what happens here with AI. Fantastic. Okay. So shifting gears to team building, obviously you had a, a group of founders that were pretty close. If I remember, I know a correct, few of correct. them quite Still well, close. but you, you scaled up to more than 400 people. That, that's a significant change already. A group of 10, 20, 30 people to a group of 400 plus. What have you put into place to ensure certain culture, to ensure that you're hiring the right people, developing the right people? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say two key things. A, it's really more than just about the founders you'd say, right? We have a strong leadership team. We recruited people, both very experienced, but also a great cultural fit. I think that's key, right? So it's about developing the leadership. Obviously, that's a big part of it. And in terms of the culture, the the interesting thing, the, the interesting aspect of culture that I find that is important is being thoughtful about culture. So we as deliberate and thoughtful. Deliberate and thoughtful and just really care. And people do, I was surprised. I come from the Air Force, right? A big company. And culture was always just this something that was not really regarded. It was the, the thing that they put on the wall, but you don't really care about. So I'm always cautious. I don't want to create culture as something that people would be cynical to, but the, the ADA key is like, they really do care. That's the number one thing we get in like feedback form. We have company feedback, like the number thing we just need to maintain our culture and we want to make sure we, we keep what makes it Mike SSS. So I think just being open and having conversations and talking about culture, like all the time, and we're having like all hands and we show things in the lens of culture. And I think just being deliberate about culture is making a big impact of, of itself. And hopefully, obviously I'm not the test to it. I think it's the ADA keys is the employees in the company, but Hopefully they all feel that we're taking great care in making sure we not just maintain, but evolve the culture we grow, but in a way that 
still meets the under underlying principles, right? Listen, I, think I, I, I have to say, I worked in startup for 15 years and then I was in VC and then I came to Amazon. And Amazon has very thoughtful and deliberate culture. It's a big part of our ethos. And I, I was very impressed by it. Like for me, it was the first time I'd come across with, and we're talking about a company with more than a million employees now, right? And I could literally land in Singapore, go to the AWS office and feel like I have something in common with the people in the Singapore office, even though I'm there for one day, just doing a bit of work. And, and I can really, f I felt the value for that for the first time. And I, d I don't think startups treat that seriously enough sometimes. I know they didn't when I was, the startups I was in, but I do think, I see it as a differentiator, especially at the scale stage. I, I totally agree. And by the way, I, so SquarePeg, our B-Round VCs, actually did due diligence on our culture. And I appreciate that so much. Amazing. It's, yes. They care about the right stuff. That's good. They're also, they're also partly Australian and I'm partly Australian. So of course they're going to do sorry good about work. That. Yeah, no, no, please. <laughs> no, they did diligence on the culture. That's amazing. Yes, I, I they actually did an employees on culture. I, I love that. I was like, yes, because it's so important and people don't. And look, ADOC is considered a fairly like balanced, dense company. And mm. the only way to do it is it's about, I think culture is like the new thing you compete on. It's, it's very soft, but I think people feel that like they go to the office, they feel that's a group they want to be part of. So that's a, a great tip. Any founders out there, CEOs of early stage companies, focus on culture, be deliberate, be thoughtful. I think that's a fantastic tip. Let's talk about other things like you said before that you see there's a bit of a shift around how machine learning is starting to be adopted by healthcare. Yeah. I want to double click on that. And also, obviously, this year has seen a massive sort of revolution almost in how we're talking about AI with Gen AI and large language models. Tell me about how you're seeing what we're going to now and we're going to be at the HLTH exhibition in Vegas and probably at RSNA and other things coming up. What do you see is going to be some of the biggest shifts that we're going to see now and how are they accelerating? Look, November 30th, 2022, right? The key date, ChatGPT released and the world changed. I think nobody, nobody can deny that. Yep. Also for healthcare. I think the opportunity for healthcare is massive. And we see a new wave of potential for AI. It's now at the top of mind when I've been in a very limited 30 health system CEO forum and number one priority is AI. I'm like, I kid you not, right? That was like the number one. And two years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. Oh yeah. It wasn't even a panel. It wasn't like, yeah, it was like a cool thing, but, but not a key priority. So now it is at the top of mind wow. of everybody. There is also a danger associated with that because okay. the hype and hyperbole, I sat down in like, now not a health system forum, but the health, like a startup, like 50 health system, uh, health startup CEOs, 45 of them are doing some sort of large language model. And it was just like, it was just too much. So the hype we're getting is also immense. And there is a lot of danger associated with that because we can go into a winter because you get all this confusion. I hear all this like random stuff, like what's real, what's not real. Everybody are talking like experts these days. So I think there is an opportunity, but also a danger. In my mind, the key right now 
especially for more mature startups like us, is really focused around education. Not to say we have all the answers, but at least we have frameworks or things we've seen that we think can be helpful in developing a strategy. So in my mind, this is going to be the year of an AI strategy. Health systems are going to be arming themselves with the tools, processes, and manpower to develop AI strategies. And our role, I think, as more mature AI players would be to help them in their education process as they develop where do they prioritize documentation. Is it clinical AI, if clinical platform or point solution? How do I measure ROI? How do I think about governance? How do I do change management? Those are going to be the key questions these days. Hopefully that makes sense. Yep. It does make sense. If there's a CEO out there, a founder out there in the audience that's starting to get going now with a solution for healthcare, what would you tell them? Like, crazy, don't do it. Don't get out while you can. Or what are a few things that could help her or him along the journey? Because you guys have made such great progress. It'd be great to learn from. Yeah, obviously still a lot, of, a lot more to go, but... I will say, first of all, healthcare is an amazing space, okay? It might be slower than some, it might be difficult, but I, there is nothing, I tell you, there is nothing like understanding what you do impacts people's life, right? So I truly recommend to anybody who wants to do it. But I will say my, I will say one thing and then somewhat the opposite of it. I think the key in healthcare these days is really understanding value and ROI. And understanding how you do is going to be mapped to value to the person you sell this to. Many people do great stuff in healthcare, but they don't understand the monetary chain and the value chain. So you like, you do something good, but nobody is willing to finance that. It's not good. that. And the healthcare, we all know this, there is a very big misalignment of incentives. There is no, almost no party apart from the government that actually cares about the total cost of care across a patient life. Even the insurance companies, they only hold the patients on average for two years, payers, right? So there is nobody optimizing your total cost of care apart from the government. Effectively, the whole system is misaligned. And we have to understand that and thrive in that environment and understand how you do things that are great for the patients, but you map out exactly, do you increase revenue for a health system? Do you reduce cost of care for the, for the payer? Whatever you do. Find your constituent and make sure you understand the ROI for them. Okay. Look, when I speak to young startups in healthcare, I tell them the lesson I got. I used to work for a healthcare medical device, healthcare delivery company back in 2000s, early 2000s. And I, the, the chief medical officer of Bupa, it's a large UK health uh, organization, sat me down and said, Guy, you have to understand the four P's of healthcare. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you've got the patient at the center, but patients are the people you want to help, but they're not deciding anything, right? Actually, you've got these things called payers and providers. Yeah. And then you've got a pathway between the other three Ps, and that's your four Ps, and every health system does it differently. Good luck. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Totally. And it's so complex. And by the way, there's also variability between them is that like, for example, a provider, it's a different between the health system or a private practice, the physician, right? That might be another P. And even the provider, there are providers that have a value-based arm and there are others that are fully... I, I, I'm just saying that there is so much nuance, but whoever you target, make sure you understand what makes it financially viable to them. To them. Okay. So what job they need to get done and what makes it vi viable? What, how are you helping them do their job better? 
and yes. what makes it viable? Make money. And make, make money. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Money makes the world around. 100%. Uh, and on the flip side, though, that's the other thing I will say. When we started ADOC, we heard a lot about the fact that it's a fairly cynical environment and everybody just cares about the ROI. That's a singular point of focus. I want to actually find, again, that's one man's opinion, but it's not really that cynical. People actually do, at the bottom of their hearts, want to do good. You just have to find a way that they can both do good and do well, right? Yeah. Both make an impact, but that. So I agree with once- you. I agree with you too. I've been around the healthcare business now for 15 years or so, healthcare life science business, <clears throat> and there's criticism. Big pharma, this, and doctors just wanting to make money. But fundamentally, as an industry, most people you meet, they're there because they want to bring clinical benefits and clinical value. They Um, actually do care. They do care. And look, we're all human. We want to make some money. It's fine. We have families to support, that sort of thing. It's legit, right? Again, greediness and bad practices, obviously, we don't want to go there. But it happens. It happens in every industry. Just thinking, I think this has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed the conversation a lot. Something about the future now looking for you. Five years time, where do you see yourself in ADOC? Look, what, what are your well, hopes? I've, what are your hopes? Look, I think we're in a pivotal time in healthcare with the intersection with AI. I think the potential of clinical AI to really transform our health system operates is there. And if you ask my hope, my number one hope is that we were able to build this enterprise AI platform and get it the heads of as many clinicians because we see the care gaps that are there and yep. that it helps solve. Obviously, as a company, we're going the IPO route. Who knows when exactly? But that's obviously five years from now, I think. Obviously, I already hope to be there and just build this like great business that's making a big impact on, on people's lives. That's fantastic. Well, I wish you the best for that good luck and uh, thank you. yeah thank you for being on our health innovation podcast the aws health innovation podcast and it's wonderful to partner with you and nice. looking forward to more in the future thank you guy thank you thanks for joining us today for the aws health innovation podcast if you want to get in touch with aws please check out our show notes where you can find a link if you enjoy the podcast the best way to support us is to share it with your colleagues and friends We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Again, you'll find all the details in our show notes. See you next week.